I'm Andrew Norton, and this is Completely Optional Knowledge. Lauren Ober is the ever-curious host of a radio show and podcast called The Big Listen. And this episode, she's the one with the question. Yeah, I want to know what's with wind. I'm a cyclist, and you know, when I get to work, I'm miserable because I've had to fight uphill against a headwind, and I'm cursing wind the whole way. But then I'm like, I don't even know where it comes from. (laughs) So this is like an art of war type situation. It's like, know your enemy. You're trying to get some reconnaissance. Oh, yeah, totally. I need to know so that I can figure out how to beat it, which is probably dumb because I'm never going (laughs) to beat nature, but I want to (laughs) try. The first thing that I thought when you brought up this question was, is this going to be too simple? So I think, you know, what I want to strive to do here is not only answer this question for you as as best we can, but also give you some sort of added value, give you something extra that might blow your mind as well. Good, because I have a pea brain. (laughs) I have a pea brain and it won't take much to blow my mind. So any little tidbits above and beyond... What is wind? I'm I'm all about it. I like this. The bar is low. <laughs> I feel like if you just keep expectations low, then you'll never be disappointed. I mean, really, there's nowhere to go but up from here, Andrew. <laughs> I'm Andrew Norton, and this is the Completely Optional Knowledge Podcast, brought to you by Greenpeace. Ask, inquire, seek the truth. The show where we take questions that make you go, huh? And we try and make you be like, oh. Marcus Roper is a mathematician at UCLA with a passion for all things fungi. That's right, math and mushrooms. I swear it'll make sense soon. Anyways, he's told us to make very clear for our listeners, he's not a climatologist or any kind of wind expert, but he said he could give us the basics. Marcus, what is wind? Changes in air temperature create flows of air. So the Earth is hotter at the equator than it is um, at higher latitudes like ours. And the hotter air at the equator is therefore lighter than the air here because as you heat air, it expands and it becomes more buoyant. And for that air to go up, there has to be cool air drawn in down to replace it. And that drives a big global flow. Another thing that causes a difference in buoyancy, and that's very important to us here in Los Angeles, is that the ocean is usually at a different temperature from the land. Right. So, you know, even in a hot summer, when you run into the Pacific Ocean off Santa Monica Beach, the ocean is still many, many degrees cooler than the beaches. And so then you see the same thing occurring. I see. And so if we're not fortunate enough to live near Santa Monica, if we're landlocked, could it be different parts of the city or different parts of land heating up and then the uh, colder air rushes in? Yes, yes. So in the shade of a building, for example, it's usually a few degrees cooler. And so you again see a temperature difference that can contribute to the flow of air through the city. Can you answer the question why the wind is always blowing against me? <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to like Southern California's the second favorite preoccupation after after the ocean. It's therapy, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I've already twisted your arm to talk about wind. Now I'm asking you to be a psychologist. But the reason we got a hold of you in the first place was because you did this pretty awesome experiment around air movement and wind. Can you tell me about that? Oh, thanks. I'm glad, I'm glad that you found it awesome. <laughs> I was curious about how mushrooms 
do so well in Southern California. And I'm, I'm a mathematician, so I, you know, I, I spend much of my day teaching and researching you know, conventional math topics. I thought you were going to say you spent much of your day lying in meadows observing mushrooms trying to ponder <laughs> deeper thoughts about them. One way that my math training feeds into this the most is that um, you know, I am so distractible that I prefer to walk to work than to drive. So one of the things that sort of distracted me was the fact that I would see mushrooms uh, here in Southern California. The mushrooms are usually kind of laying under layers of leaf litter or poking up through some pine needles or else they're sheltered under a tree. And this is very, very peculiar because mushrooms produce lots and lots of spores. I mean, in fact, billions of spores a day from a single mushroom. And then it's thought that these spores, they just fall from the mushroom and, and they find uh, whatever wind is around in the environment, and then they get dispersed here and there. What you're saying is, in Southern California, when you're doing your uh, frolics uh, through, through the woods, <laughs> or just or just walking to work, rather, you were seeing mushrooms in places where you went, hey, how did a spore get there? Exactly. Yeah. Well, how did the spore get there? And like, what hope does the mushroom that's there right now have of, of getting its own spores into the wind around it? Right. Okay. And wind is subject to friction. Uh, and so the wind like closest to the ground in those first few centimeters is almost nothing. There's almost no wind at all to disperse its spores. And so the big mystery to us was um, like these mushrooms that were growing in sheltered places, you know, why was this a successful niche for them to live in? I mean, how are they getting dispersed from there? I can't imagine how you go about looking into this. So I have a friend. Her name is Emily Dresser, and she's a professor of engineering at New York University. And she came to Southern California for the summer. It was very hard to induce her to come, but we managed to persuade her to come. Uh, and I have a laboratory in the math department, and we study like the physics of fungal dispersal and growth and things like this. I love this idea that a mathematician has his own fungi lab and is looking at these things. I love it. Okay, so you were curious about how the spores spread, and so you get into your fungi lab, mm -hmm. and, and what, what did you figure out? So what we did is we brought the mushrooms into the lab, and what we would see is if we put the mushroom only a centimeter or two above the ground, the spores would just flow continuously out from under the mushroom cap as if there were a wind that were dispersing them. Hmm. Uh, and we did our utmost to eliminate any external source of wind. So we would put the mushrooms in boxes. You close the window. <laughs> the lab has no windows. <laughs> Wait, so... did we close the window? Okay, yeah, we did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so none of the wind that was producing this flow of spores could be coming from the environment. And so the wind had to be being produced by the mushroom itself. Hmm. The big mystery was how the mushroom was producing the wind. And then this relates to a second question, actually, why mushrooms do such a poor job of conserving water. The mushroom itself dries out really quickly. Like if you cut one of these mushrooms and you take it into your kitchen, you leave it on the kitchen countertop overnight, the mushroom will wither away into a dried husk. Sure. It doesn't have really any apparent adaptations to prevent water loss. I mean, if you compare that with humans, we have like a nice skin and our skin protects us from losing water. Right. The mushroom's pretty much all water, so you'd think it would have a better way of retaining the water exactly. of self-preservation, right? Yeah, yeah. So we wondered whether the fungus was actually trying to lose water as quickly as possible. Why would it want to do that? Well, if you get out of an open-air pool, 
even on a hot summer day, immediately you feel very cold. Right. And that's because there's a layer or a film of water that's clinging to you when you climb out of the pool. And as that water evaporates, it robs your body of heat, cooling you down. Well, that's why we sweat, right? Exactly, yes. And so we wondered if the mushroom were doing something kind of similar. And indeed, when we measured mushrooms both in the lab and when we went out into nature, we found that they're always running a few degrees Celsius cooler than their environment, even on a hot day. And so remember, if we go back to my explanation of what causes wind, changes in air temperature create little flows of air. Sure. And so the mushroom is this old source of cold air, and that cold air has to spread because it's heavier than the surrounding hot air. And so that cold spreading air is leaving the mushroom and it's pulling spores out from under the mushroom cap and out into the surrounding grass. Wow. So you looked at these mushrooms and they basically sweat more or less. And that almost creates a weather pattern that creates wind, which helps the spores fly out of the mushroom. Exactly. Exactly. It's like a Disney movie or something. This is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's very beautiful to see. Yes. But it's not wind like like you feel coming in from the ocean. Uh, and so I just got to stop you there. I get it. You live in Southern California. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's okay. We get it. Okay, Marcus. <laughs> this is really a small, small scale effect that the mushroom is, is harnessing. But moving a, a few tens of centimeters into the air or higher up means that you access much faster winds. And so the spores from that point actually have a hope of catching the winds that are present in the environment that can take them to new patches that they can produce new mushrooms in. It seems like, you know, with this whole idea of a mushroom making weather, it seems like a bit of a romantic notion in my mind. My feeling is, I mean, that these these things really are dark matter. I mean, we know so little about them and yet they're so important. I mean, it's incredible to imagine what other stories there are. Like if you go into the undergrowth and you look at what fungi are doing in nature. Okay, basically, that was bonkers. I can't believe that he is a mathematician who is researching mushroom sweat. (laughs) That's my new album, actually. It's uh, dropping soon, Mushroom Sweat. (laughs) I mean, there is somebody out there, probably not just one person, probably a team of people in Marcus's laboratory figuring out that basically it's creating its own sort of meteorological system to shoot these spores off and and create more mushrooms. I think that's pretty amazing. (laughs) So, so, you know, you came into this asking, you know, what is wind? And I feel like we did a little sleight of hand, you know, yeah, we kind of answered what is wind, but check this out. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like in terms of trivial knowledge, the value of the mushroom sweat information is so much greater than what is wind. (laughs) I really did enjoy mathematician Marcus, and I'm glad that he was able to carve out some time, you know, when he wasn't surfing or looking at walruses or whatever you do (laughs) in Santa Monica. I feel like there's someone at UCLA looking at a line item that's like fungal lab in the math department. Did you know we had one of these? Yeah. Like, all right, whatever. Let (laughs) it go. Let it go. Completely Optional Knowledge is presented by Greenpeace. Our producer is J.P. Davidson. Breakmaster Cylinder created our theme music, and I'm Andrew Norton. 
visit completelyoptionalknowledge.org to hear more episodes, to subscribe, and to, of course, ask your questions, because we can't make this show unless we know what you're curious about. You can also call 202-697-6912 and leave us a voicemail with your questions or feedback. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with more Completely Optional Knowledge. And hey, do us a favor. If you do subscribe to the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. That would be huge. Science.